possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Welcome to the Palace Theater's Broadway Buzz, presented by Webster Bank. The Palace Theater is located in Waterbury, Connecticut. My name is Stuart Brown, founder of the 24-7 online Broadway radio station, soundsofbroadway.com. If you are looking for nonstop Broadway music, tune into soundsofbroadway.com, playing the best from off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage. I'll be your host for this podcast series. My guest today is David Flowers, Chief Production Officer at the Palace Theater. And Dave really is the man behind the scenes that gets everything set for the shows that you see at the Palace Theater. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to let Dave talk about all those important aspects of getting the Broadway series up on the stage. Welcome to the program, Dave. Thank you very much, Stu. Thanks for having me. Chief Production Officer. What does that mean? I know we've talked before about all the different aspects behind the scenes. Can you give our audience a taste of exactly what your role is in getting shows up on the stage? So it has a lot to do with what the discussions are with a contract and what we're considering of do- for doing shows. So there's a lot of uh, paperwork. There's a lot of discussions about what we need, um, what we have to bring into the theater, uh, what's coming into the theater, manpower to get that done, services such as catering, any um, equipment that needs to be rented from other venues. So it's a lot of um, logistics and scheduling, especially for uh, the Palace Theater, which we do a lot of both community theater professional concerts and professional road Broadway road shows. So there's a lot of moving parts and it's really about logistics, about what's in the theater now, what's coming to the theater, what's leaving the theater and what might be coming up later in life um, to get that stuff ready as well. Exact details are a lot of stuff because every show and every day is different here. So sometimes I'm working on catering for cast members and sometimes we're working through design aspects for maybe a fundraiser that's going on into the lobby or on stage. Why don't we focus on the Broadway shows? So let's look at, at the shows that come in. So for example, and, and I do want to talk a little bit about phantom in just a few minutes but let's say your average broadway show that has booked the palace theater can you talk about the lead time is this something that you know about a month in advance six months a year or more to get ready for that show to come in so we'll get preliminary paperwork what's called the technical rider which we do well in advance before we even announce seasons. So there's preliminary paperwork that lets us know, you know, what's coming in the building. How many tractor trailers is it? How much weight does it hold? Um, How much does the stage need to hold? How much does the grid above the stage, how much weight does that need to hold? The amount of costumes storage that needs to be uh, had. Um, And can we fulfill those obligations? So there are preliminary discussions and paperwork that outline the show in general. And we build budgets for that. As we get closer to the day, let's say we go ahead and we choose that show to do that show. And we get very many. There might be 10 to 15 Broadway shows that we consider for every season, and we'll narrow it down to five. So we do a lot of work for every single show, and a lot of it never comes to fruition. So depending on the complexity of the show really determines how much time is needed. Um, there are traditional you know, ways to do things in theater. So if, it's, um, if there's nothing out of the organ you know, lighting positions stay the same. Weight limits stay the same. It doesn't take, um, everybody knows we have a professional crew here. So um, everybody knows it's standard operating procedure for us. So it could be uh, anywhere from, you know, where I 
finally get on the phone with uh, the road carpenter who's traveling with the show, um, who, what we call, we call advancing the show. It could be six weeks to a month out where we'll start getting down to the nitty gritty about maybe some very specific challenges of that show and uh, timing of uh, how long it takes to build, when the trucks are going to begin to arrive. But then there's some shows like Phantom, like you said, where it could take years in some instances. But for the most part, for the shows that we do, they're roughly about six weeks where I start to pick up the phone and we start to get down to the nitty gritty of it all. So looking at that timeline, you're saying that the, for example, I believe the Palace Theater usually makes an announcement late spring about the upcoming, about the following season. But you're saying before that announcement is even made, we've been spending months researching the shows, seeing not only what is going to be, and and this isn't really your domain, sort of from an audience perspective. What do I think the audience is? You're looking more for the technical things and roughing all that out to say, okay, Frank Tavera, here here are the options from the technical standpoints. Here's what I think we can do. Here's where, well, you know what? I don't know if we want to get that involved or these shows back to back might produce a lot more work or might be more complicated than we can, we can do. So that's really kind of the timeline. It is. So, um, and it, that, and that kind of broaches into the programming and choosing titles. That's really, uh, Frank Tavera, our boss CEO, um, that's his position and his take on it. I'll give him my advice on, you know, on what it's going to take. How many people is it going to take to do this? Are there any limitations? Can we give them the full show that, that we're going to purchase and sell to the audience? So there's some guidance in there. We might have some very complicated shows where, you know, it might be a three day load in only for to produce, you know, three shows. And that could be very, very expensive. So um, it's my job to give him guidance on kind of cost basis and what, you know, and his job to, to choose the risk of that. Let's translate some of the, the technical verbiage. So yeah. when you say load in, can you explain what that means? And like you said, it could take days, the types of vehicles, it's not like you're pulling up your rental van. You're talking huge trucks. They're tractor trailers. No, it's it's for these Broadway shows, specifically for these Broadway shows, we average, you know, it could be average four to six tractor trailers that carry everything. Now we have our own sound and lights in the building that we use for our own community events, for graduations, for dance recitals, for the Waterbury Arts Magnet School. They use our equipment. Before a Broadway show comes into town, we take everything down. I've got 300 lights up uh, above the stage. The stage, the ceiling on the stage is 60 feet tall. You know, so all that stuff, all that rigging comes down, all the cabling, all the control cables, all the computers, that all goes away, gets packed up and put in storage before the Broadway trucks come in. And they carry everything from the sound, the lights, the costumes, the props, the musicians, the uh, back line, which is all the instrument gear, uh, wardrobe, and even company management. They basically have a rolling office on wheels that go into the back of the truck as well. And, you know, there's some tools, you know, if things break when the trucks roll down 95, um, sometimes things break. So they have to be ready to repair or paint some scenery sometimes. So it's everything. It's all inclusive. We buy the show and they show up with everything. So load-in is actually that time when those trucks who maybe came from Buffalo the night before who did a show, they packed it up in Buffalo, let's say at uh, you know 1 a.m. in the morning. 
Now they're on their road to Waterbury, Connecticut. They're going to take it all apart, put it in the truck, come to Waterbury, put it back together and do a show for Waterbury. So loading is the process of unloading those trucks, reassembling the scenery, rigging the lights, rigging any scenery, getting wardrobe in place, getting the mobile office in place, computers in place, the orchestra pit, it's everything. So we can do that. Most of the time we do that in eight to 10 hours for an eight o'clock show. We're getting ready for Donna Summer tomorrow. We'll be here at 7 a.m. with about 50 crew members, local crew members with roughly 12 to 15 road crew technicians who can get here and start building the show again. And we'll be ready for an eight o'clock curtain. Is it my understanding that the Palace Theater has one of the largest load areas out of any theater or one of it's one of the largest in any theater in New England? Well, the stage size, the stage size itself from from cinder block wall on stage left to cinder block wall on stage right is 100 feet across and it's roughly 50 feet deep. It's very, very close to being one of the largest stages in Connecticut. Boston Wang Center is quite big, but specifically in Connecticut, it's a very large space. It is one of the largest. And is there a lot of wing space, meaning the space on the side that you can use to store the props, store the sets before as they come in and out of the stage? Yeah, so we have a 50-foot proscenium opening, which is the opening you see, the basically the window onto the stage. That's 50 feet. And that leaves us 25 feet right, 25 feet stage left, and um, a little bit of space upstage as well to store that scenery. A show and typical of a Broadway house down in New York City and something like the Schubert Theater in New Haven, they have considerably less space, probably half or even less uh, than that amount of space available to them. So um, we're fortunate that we have that kind of space. It makes it much easier to deal with these shows. Absolutely. So when these shows are coming into the Palace Theater, like you said, everything is contained in these trucks that you or your crew doesn't have to be building things. It's not like a college production or a community production where people are sawing, they're painting, they're putting everything together. It's you are basically opening the doors and saying, okay, people, there's the stage, do your thing. Specifically to the set. Yeah, that's correct. We're not we're not building or painting. We might be doing touch up of paint uh, during in the afternoon if things got scratched on the way out of, let's say, Buffalo, for example, uh, maybe some paint got scratched. So there'll be touch up. But by all means, we are reassembling the scenery and it's built to be road worthy, um, where a set might for a college show or regional theater might be built. It's built once it's assembled once. They do their production for maybe, you know, weeks, and then it all gets taken apart and will be never be built again. This has to be roadworthy. So it's, it's a much beefier kind of scenery that's designed to go in trucks, and it has to be designed to go through doors. We're fortunate enough um, that we have large overhead doors to get scenery in. There are older theaters where, you know, some of the scenery is going through normal everyday passenger doors and taking right angles. So we can't have a piece of scenery that's 20 feet long because we'll never make it around a corner onto the stage. So all this stuff has to be thought about well ahead of time. And when it's being built in the shop, in, in, you know, in the scene shop, they have to take that into consideration. What theaters are we going to? What limitations do we have in that small, strange theater where this piece needs to break apart and then go back together every day? 
Do you find that the people that are coming through on these national tours, I'm assuming some of them have maybe never even been to Waterbury, Connecticut, forget, you know, being to the Palace Theater. And once they get there, that they're very impressed because of, like you said, the entranceways, the professionalism, the size of the stage, everything like that. I would not say impressed. I would say relieved (laughs) uh, because they might have just come from a place that was very difficult to move scenery and rigging and lighting in and out of that space. So they take a walk through the space first thing in the morning. And like you said, some of them have never been to water. Most of them have never been to Waterbury. So they take a walk, a quick walk and look around at the space and see the wide open areas and unobstructed uh, passageways that we have. And uh, they know they're in for a good day. When you are putting together that list well ahead of the announcement of shows, is that something that you are in discussions with all these shows to say, we're looking to consider you? These are the specs for our theater, the scenery, everything you're going to do. Can you get in? Because I'm, I'm thinking some of the bigger shows you might want. And after these discussions, it's like, well, yeah, it's not going to work from the technical end of actually getting the show up and ready for the stage. So uh, I, I avoid that conversation at all costs. We, we are here to solve those issues and solve those problems. If there is a complex show like Phantom and the chandelier that needs to get rigged, it's my job to have solutions for that stuff and create a budget for that. So um, that's one of those conversations that I hope to never have that to say that we can't do that. The shows know how complex scenery that they have. So they give me an indication. It's like, listen, you've got to be aware of this piece of scenery. You know, what do you have there that can do this? Or what don't you have there? What do you need? What can you get to do this? And then that's where that conversation starts. Okay, this is what we have. And this is what we need. So and that, very specifically to Phantom with the chandelier, we had a lot of work to do with that. We've talked a lot about scenery. What about the other aspects of the load-in that the people from these national tours are, let's say, impressed with, or like you said, relieved about? You know, is it the, the orchestra pit, the space for the actors, the actresses, or wow, you have all this great rigging for the lighting, or you have enough cables for the sound. What are the things that, like I said, they're impressed with, or again, relieved with? Yeah, some of the, I mean, especially some of the support spaces underneath the stage, there are are the dressing rooms, uh, what's called the trap room, which is basically the area directly under center stage and access to the pit. Those are, I would say, abnormally wide for some theaters. Um, A lot of the older theaters are very, very narrow. When we unpack things, we now have an empty box where that scenery piece came out of, and we have to put that empty box somewhere. So now we have twice as many things in this building than when we started. So all those empty cases need to go somewhere. So down under the stage, we have a lot of storage space. We have wide hallways to store stuff. We have a massive freight elevator that holds 7,500 pounds that can go up three levels. So additional storage space. We have a two truck loading dock, which is uh, convenient for us. So we can unload two trucks at one time. And then when we empty those cases, those empty cases can go back into those empty trucks they can go away and then the two other trucks come in as well. So it's an extremely efficient space to work. And there's a lot of places to put all the, uh, what we call dead storage. Dave, we're going to take a short break. Just going to go to hear a word from our sponsors. And then we'll be back talking more about the behind the scenes look at the Palace Theater. 
Where can you hear the best music from Off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage? The answer, soundsofbroadway.com, your 24-7 online Broadway music radio station. Listen to selections from well-known, popular, and more obscure musicals from the most diverse playlists anywhere. That's soundsofbroadway.com. Let's go on with the show. We're all living through an unusual time together, but each one of us is dealing with it differently. Webster Bank is here to help you move forward at whatever pace is right for you. Whether you're taking small steps or big, bold ones. Whether you're refocusing on your future, re-energizing your business, or reconnecting with everyone you love, Webster will help you take your next steps on your time. We're back with the Broadway Buzz. My name is Stuart Brown. I'm speaking with David Flowers, Chief Production Officer at the Palace Theatre. We've mentioned Phantom a couple of times. Is Phantom the largest show that you've ever loaded into the palace? It, it absolutely was. That was, um, I, if I remember correctly, roughly 20 trucks that that show contains. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. It was a huge show. That was a three-day load-in, roughly 60, 70, 80 stagehands, depending on the day and the time. And that was one of the shows where we had extensive conversations that lasted years the shows actually came in well ahead of time to look at the space and to see what happened. And we, you know, they would come back six months later and, you know, see how the progress uh, is going and kind of confirm the timelines about, you know, certain targets for projects that we had to do specifically to the chandelier. We had to reinforce the steel roof that was going to hold the chandelier up. And we also had to make holes in the ceiling for that rigging. So that was quite a challenge. And in the meantime, we have plenty of other shows to do. So it's very difficult to kind of work on stage and do shows at the same time. Let's maybe expand upon that description. So it was just a few years ago that Phantom came in. How many years, and we're talking years, not months, how many years did the discussions first start? Well, every year since we opened, we always tried to pencil in Phantom and start the conversation with the agents, with the production company. So I don't think it was ever off the table to come to the palace. It just took a long time to get there. So it was a lot of cold calling and trying and trying again every year to try and get them to show up. At that point, it was about risk. We are a new theater in the grand family of theaters around the nation. We're new. We're the new kid on the block. They're really uh, risky to come to Waterbury, an unknown market for them. So a lot of it was convincing them. And then it was my job to try and get them into the theater. Just take a walk into our theater. You know, never mind, you know, staying on the phone and trying us begging you over financials and stuff like that. It turns out that some of the scenery was built down in Bridgeport at a scene shop. And occasionally they would have things break or they would have to rebuild things. So I have some um, friends that who worked in that shop. And I said, you got to let me know when the head carpenter is back down there and the head advanced carpenter. And I'm like to invite them up to the Waterbury. We're very you know close by. So come up to Waterbury, take a walk through. So it was a lot of uh, wooing them into the building. And uh, that was probably the first time they got into the building was probably, um, you know, probably two years before they actually showed up in town. And then start the real technical conversations about what we need to do to get it done. Again, let's let's look at the timing. 
you're trying to get them for years and years. Finally, you get that contact and that's two years before the show actually starts performances where we will do Phantom two years from now. Yeah. And by that time, you know, okay, so they, they do what's called their site surveys and they report back to the producers to say, yes, they can do this. They can't do that without doing this, you know, and then probably six months after that, I think, you know, Frank would say, okay, yeah, we're, we're going to go forward. The producer agrees. So two years and then probably 18 months would, we would have signed contracts and commitments to come in. When you had that person finally get to that walk-in, what was his initial reaction? Was he pleasantly surprised or saying, wow, I, I never knew this type of theater existed in this market? Not so much the aesthetics of the theater. The people that I work with aren't interested in the aesthetics of the theater. They're interested in what's behind the aesthetics of the theater. The gentleman didn't want to show his cards right away. I had some interesting kind of solutions for him. I knew the, I know the building quite well. So I had my ideas on maybe how we can solve these issues. He was unfamiliar with the building. So he had to really take it all in and kind of, um, kind of uh, judge, you know, whether it's, if it's attainable or not. There's some interesting things about the building. There's still, there's still steel up in, in above the plaster ceiling that the patrons see that's from 1920. It's still up there. And then there's some, you know, modifications that were done when they re-renovated the building 20 years ago. So between the two kind of structures within the building, there were some, um, there were opportunities to, um, to solve some problems. So um, it, it took a little coach. <laughs> Let's talk about the chandelier because anyone, and I'm going to assume most people listening to this podcast have probably seen Phantom. It's been around for so many decades and people know that is the set piece. I mean, they've changed Phantom around and people can have different opinions on the, the remake of Phantom, but the chandelier is there. The effect is there. It is a huge piece. In fact, was it, I think we talked about this once before. Does the chandelier have one truck to itself for Loden? Pretty much. We have to build a runway from the stage to over the center of the house. So we have scaffolding and it's basically, it's, it's a landing gear runway where this massive chandelier rolls off the truck down to center stage and then rolls out over the seats. And then we start kind of putting, assembling it together. And then also we have to assemble what holds the chandelier and what, um, you know, what makes that fall during the show. So all that stuff has to get rigged as well. So all the mechanics, the wire alone, half a truck to get it up to through the ceiling, back to the stage and back down, um, you know, above the stage and then down to the stage to power and control that as well. So it's a ton of cable and control. How long did it take to get the chandelier, let's say from truck to up on, on top of the, the theater to, let's say, the first test? Boy, you're, you're going to rack my brain now. It was a three-day load-in, so it certainly came off early. We got we, we wanted to get that into the house right away because there's a whole stage that gets built on top of our stage for that show, for all the automated scenery that happens with that. But, um, I mean, I would say, you know, most of the rigging was probably up in the first day. The, the, the stuff to hold the chandelier was up in the first day, and it probably got lifted day two. As you said, you had to do some work on the ceiling to make this work. And you had to tell these people ahead of time, yes, we can reinforce. Yes, we will drill holes. We'll, we'll do all that for the chandelier. 
we had to identify uh, exactly where the chandelier was going to be hung and where the steel uh, I-beams that hold up the roof, where are those located? And, you know, where is the best spot where that can be done? So we had to identify very specific spots to where that can be done. And at those spots, we needed to reinforce the steel. Even the steel that holds the roof was not adequate to hold the chandelier. And it's not because of the weight, it's because of the, the effect. The drop of the chandelier is actually the most dynamic weight that there is. So we had to bring in large steel I-beams cut down and able to go up through the ceiling of the stage and then across over the plaster ceiling and then lifted vertically once again through the roof, the rest of the roof steel. And there's HVAC and sprinkler pipes. And so everything had to be cut and then assembled back and then welded back in place. We did that about nine months before they showed up. It was over Christmas break. When school was out, we were done with our shows and the next shows weren't going to be until mid-January. So we took that time off when we were dark to, time to reinforce that steel. Oh, I didn't know that. So all this was all prep work. So when they came in, it was simply here's what we have to do. It's not, oh, hmm, what are we going to do? Okay, let's get those steel beams. All that was oh. way, way in advance. No, it, absolutely. <laughs> and that was, and no, there's no time to do it in advance. No, the, all this stuff was all discussed well before they got here. And that's where the continued site surveys would happen, where we would get some steel in place and then we would have to hit uh, deadlines. And then the site survey would happen again and they'd confirm our measurements. Okay, this is right. This is correct. This is in the, this is what we talked about nine months ago. This is where it is. These are the correct specifications. The architect signs off on it. So uh, absolutely, it was, it was a couple of different things that we were talking about. We had to support the, uh, the stage as well. We put more lolly columns underneath the stage to support the stage on our stage, plus the rotating towers that were present as well. So there was a couple of different aspects. Is all that still there or did they, I mean, I, I'm, I know they didn't take the I-beams and stuff, but is everything there? So let's say next season, two years, whatever, Phantom says, we'd like to come back to Waterbury. And you're like, great, because we still have everything in place. I left it all there. Didn't touch it. <laughs> no, we left it all there. And a lot of it we had to do, um, especially with the, the um, motor control and power uh, for that chandelier, we had to drill holes. Um, to get to places where normally we wouldn't have to get to and run cable, you know, where there wasn't access to run cable. So we had, we put in large pieces of conduit and other holes and access points to run all that cable back from backstage to over the center of the house and down. Did you hold your breath the first time everything's in place and they tested the chandelier, just crossing your fingers, praying that it was going to do what you wanted it to do? I wasn't holding my breath. At that point in time, I kind of washed my hands. I said, I did my job. I put those things in place. That's done. Whether that piece of scenery works, that's up to the show now. That's their equipment. But they do this stuff all the time. And that's what tests are for. And they have workarounds for things. They have spare equipment. You know, if something happens, if something gets damaged, they'll know about it normally when we're going to install it. We might see a broken connector on a computer or something like that. And we'll identify that stuff. So yeah, that, that's for them to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> because you did all this work for Phantom, are there other shows that are out there that you think, oh, I'd love to get that show in here because we can get it in here. We don't have to work on reinforcing this aspect of the stage or of the ceiling because we've already done that. 
Absolutely. A direct reason why we got Book of Mormon was because word got around that Waterbury is doing and can do phantom because they have a piece of technology. They had a piece of lighting trust that was over the house as well, that we, another part of the project of phantom that was installing some more holes to hold some lighting trusses. Uh, Book of Mormon got word of that. And they said, is it true? Is it true? You guys are doing this. We want to take a look. So we weren't even considering the show and uh, the road, one of the road crew members uh, was in town again and said, why don't you stop by? I'll show you what's going on here. And uh, he says, oh, God, you guys did this for Phantom. We're going to use those same positions to rig our lights. So this is a non-issue. So had we not done Phantom, we would not do Book of Mormon the next year. And then I would say typical of the, of the Disney shows. The Disney shows are very, very highly technical and and they rely on spectacle much more than other shows. So we're waiting. We're waiting. And just like Phantom, we uh, we always put a Disney show on our calendar in hopes that we can convince them to come. Because of the proximity to New York, is it easier to get all these advanced people into the palace? I mean, you're not in the middle of an of a cornfield somewhere in Iowa. You know, you are within a very short car ride, train ride to get to the palace. It absolutely is. It is very helpful. Like you said, it's, it'd be a different story if we were in the Midwest. Designers, creators, producers, the shops that build the scenery, that you know, assemble the lighting packages and sound packages, they're in New England. So it's extremely helpful to be close by. So it's also helpful when we do tech for some shows during, uh, you know, the actors aren't in the spaces and the directors and designers aren't in the space as long as the technicians are. So they have a little bit more time. So they take the opportunity to go back to New York City or or the region to go back home and then come back, take a breather and come back to Waterbury to continue rehearsing. So let, let's just, again, expand upon that. So when you say tech a show, so there could be a show that is not on the palace schedule. In fact, you just recently had, was it for the national tour, South Pacific? Yeah. But they were using the palace because of the proximity to do the technical work. So there are no actors, no singers, nothing. Just we got to make sure that here's the lights, here's how the sound. And they use the palace theater. To literally launch a show. And it does include, it still includes the cast members as well. But this is the one, tech is the one time where the scenery is in the shop. The actors are in New York City you know, in their studio. Designers are at, you know, at their computers creating looks. Uh, costume designers are doing sketches and looking through inventory and checking fabric. And they're all being compiled at other locations. Everything is being compiled elsewhere. Tech is the very first time where all elements come together. And that's really crunch time when everything has to be programmed and timed out. And that's where the production stage manager, the pressure's on. And that's when the show is built from downbeat to downbeat to downbeat, specifically when these lighting cues are done, when these props need to be handed off, when do these scene changes happen, where do these actors need to stand, you know, so they don't get run over by a scene change, when um, the conductor has to figure out, you know, the timing of the cast member on when are they going to say this line that all happens during the tech process and it's a lot of time it's exhausting because we'll do 12 to 16 hour days and everything changes the designer says oh this isn't quite working out we need to make a few changes or you know this work this drafting worked on paper it said this piece would fit but in reality it's not fitting for whatever reason so um there's constant work to be done constant modifications to be done so that's that process well you know it's interesting you say that because 
if you read about the creation of a musical, it's always the book writer, a new scene or new lines or the composer or composing team. Hey, I need a new song. But they rarely talk about what you've just mentioned. Oh, there's a different lighting cue or, well, if we change or add a new song, the conductor has to learn that and all the different cues. So it's not just learning a new song, but there's so much when you just change one teeny little bit. Absolutely. And don't forget, the lighting designer hasn't even turned a light on yet. You know, lighting designer is talking about, you know, his kind of vision and kind of mood and atmosphere to the director on what he thinks the set is going to look like and maybe doing some illustrations or showing research. But a light hasn't been turned on yet until it's been plugged in and the computer has been booted up. So that's really, you know, a first chance for some people to actually get to work and start building the show. Never mind the stage manager. Stage manager has been in the process of rehearsals the whole time. He or she knows the lines, knows some of the most of the blocking, but still hasn't called. How long is it going to take for this piece of scenery to get on stage? We have no idea until we get it on stage. So all that stuff has to be figured out and timed appropriately. It's very challenging. It's very stressful. And sometimes, you know, the actors will be there. And for easily a 10 second scene change could take four hours to program and get right. So meanwhile, the actors are on stage, you know, standing in place, you know, and okay, three steps this way, stay right there for the next hour. It's grueling. And again, I'm assuming that because of the proximity of the palace to New York, like you said, all these shops in New England, that you're a great resource and that I'm assuming that you do such a great job helping them, that word spreads through the industry so that more people want to utilize the space for the tech, which then potentially can lead to, well, we had a great experience tech. And yeah, maybe you know you should take a look at bringing your tour to the palace. Absolutely. And, we, and it's always part of the discussion. It's amazing what makes them decide to come to Waterbury or elsewhere. And it, it could be anything. Sometimes there's deals, you know, these producers produce many shows. So they, they might have done a package of three shows for a theater. And part of that package is they're going to do the tech over there. Sometimes they've already booked, you know, stop number one, and that might be in California. But, you know, they can't tech in Waterbury and get to the first show in time in California. The other thing is it's financial. New England is not cheap when it comes to, you know, pricing. They can get a better deal sometimes out in the Midwest or elsewhere to do this stuff. I've seen, you know, Broadway shows have produced their shows in college theaters and never sold a ticket, but they had, um, you know, it was easier for them and, and cheaper. Maybe the university was giving the place away. It was over the summer, nothing was going on. So there's a lot of different things. It could be the designer doesn't want to go to Waterbury. You know, they might have a summer home in upstate New York and say, no, I'll work on it, but you got to tech it in Albany. So it could be anything. Dave, I want to thank you for sharing your insights because for me, I always like to know the backstory and I, I don't want audiences to listen to this podcast and now not enjoy the show. But I think it's, it's very interesting to know that there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. It's almost like the actual performance is the easy part because all this work has been done ahead of time. And now it's just, well, go on the stage and sing and dance. And that's all you got to do. 
it is a lot. It's, it's a lot of minute details and logistics to keep track of. And it really is takes a lot of people. I just help facilitate all that. There are a core of designers and technicians that all work together to make it happen without a doubt. So it's, uh, no, it's great. And I, I don't want the audience to be thinking about, you know, how did that light get there by any means? Then they'd be stuck in my position. And sometimes I have a hard time watching the show because I'm thinking about stuff like that. So, but I find it interesting and uh and i like doing it so yeah so thanks for having me i've been speaking with david flowers chief production officer at the palace theater you have been listening to the palace theater's broadway buzz presented by webster bank the palace theater is located in waterbury connecticut my name is Stuart brown founder of the 24 7 online broadway radio station sounds of broadway.com if you are looking for non-stop broadway music tune into sounds of broadway.com playing the best from Off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage. Thank you for listening. I hope you will join me on our next podcast episode. Until then, stay safe, be well, and be informed with the Broadway buzz. Entertaining new possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Show.